So recently, I uh, purchased a new desk for my office. And it's big, but that's not the point. I'm uh, kind of going through a, a kick where I'm trying to get more organized because before I really wasn't organized at all. So part of that was, was getting a new desk for my office, and on the day that it was supposed to arrive, I was waiting somewhat impatiently for the truck to get there so I could start putting it together so that I could get it in my office and start reorganizing, or really organizing the first time, my office. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and the guy shows up with the truck. And he brings in the first box, the desk came in two boxes, and I was really excited about it, I was ready to get started, and then he tells me, Sorry, but the other box is behind some other furniture, so I'm going to have to go deliver all that furniture and then come back and bring you the other box. So I'm a little frustrated, a little impatient, but there's, there's not really anything this guy can do about it or I can do about it, and so I just continue to wait. And then finally, later in the afternoon, towards the end of the day, he, he shows up again, he brings the other box in, and I take it up to the office, and I start putting together the desk. I'm making lots of progress, just kind of plugging away, following those exceedingly detailed instructions that they give you when you put together furniture. And I come to the next step where I'm supposed to put together the drawers and I find uh, this piece which we should have a picture of if it works right. You just click on that big right arrow, it should work. But, um, I found this piece, this black plastic piece, which was supposed to hold the side of the drawer to the front of the drawer, but instead of looking like the other ones that came with it, it was all melted and deformed and uh, practically useless. It would look a lot better if you guys had a picture, but technological problems. So this, this piece didn't work. And because of that, it didn't allow the desk to function the way the desk was supposed to function. You see, somebody in, in some office somewhere for this furniture company designed this piece so that it would be the perfect size so that, there we go, the one on the left is the right one, the, the correct one, and the one on the right is the deformed and, and melted one. And because of that, the drawer didn't line up right. It didn't line up with the other drawers. It didn't open and close right, and it didn't fit in the hole that they had designed for it to fit in. So I you know, called the furniture company, and thankfully they sent me out another piece, and now my desk drawers aren't all wonky. They actually work like they're supposed to. But the point is that in order for the desk to, to function how it was supposed to function, in order for this little piece to fulfill its purpose, it had to be the way the person who designed it said it should be. It had to be the exact size, the exact shape, and not, not melted, not deformed. And we've done the same thing. You see, we, we haven't spent the last two months going through the Beatitudes just, just because it's fun. We've done it because that's where Jesus tells us who we should be. He tells us the type of people that we should be in the world and how we should live in the world. Tonight, we're going to move past that. We're going to go past just talking about who we're supposed to be and start talking about our, our function and our role and our purpose in the world. We're going to start talking about the things that matter. If we really are these types of people, then who will we be in the world? See, Christ hasn't just called us 
to be his disciples in isolation. He hasn't just called us to, to be these types of people and then stay home. He said that we should be these people so that we can go out into the world and serve his purpose. Now, if you, if you haven't realized it yet, it's impossible for us to be the people that the Beatitudes describe in private. We can't be poor in spirit. We can't uh, be mournful over sin. We can't be meek. We can't be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We can't be merciful. We can't be pure in heart. We can't be peacemakers in the comfortable privacy of our own homes or in our own little Christian circles or inside our church walls. In order to really do those things, we have to go out in the world and do them. And last week, we saw what the world's response to that will be. Last week, we saw that persecution is how the world affects us as followers of Christ. But tonight, tonight we're going to get to see how we, how we as followers of Christ should affect the world. We're going to see that as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world, that's how we serve our role in society. So let's read our text and, and then we'll get into it. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You don't have a Bible, there's, there's some at the end of the rows, and tonight's passage in those Bibles starts on page 810. It took us two months, but we finally moved to the next page. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and this is Jesus speaking to us. Verse 13, he says, You are the light of the earth, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the main point tonight of the passage is that followers of Christ, as followers of Christ, we, we slow moral decay in the world and we bring light to a sin-darkened world. That's the main point. That's what we're going to see. See, Jesus gives us two metaphors, two, two images or, or illustrations of how we as Christians should function in society. He tells us that we're the salt of the earth and he tells us that we're the light of the world. We're going to ask two questions about each of these, these metaphors that he gives us. We're going to ask, what does it tell us about the world? And then we're going to ask, what does it tell us about, about us in the world, about how we should act in the world? So let's start with the first metaphor. He says that you are the salt of the earth, that we are the salt of the earth. Before we jump into the questions, we need to think about something first. We need to talk about what and how salt functioned in the ancient world. You see, like us, they used salt for, for seasoning. If something didn't have enough flavor, they would grab something probably similar to a salt shaker and, and put it on their food so it had more flavor. But they also use it for something else. You see, they don't or didn't have refrigerated trucks or coolers or dry ice or even ice ice. Uh, they didn't have refrigerators or freezers like we do. So they had to come up with some other method for keeping all their food from rotting. And they used salt. They used salt to preserve meat and things that would rot. And what they would do is they would take a piece of meat and they would rub salt into the meat. 
And what that would do is it would draw moisture out of the meat. Specifically, it would draw it out of these microorganisms that live inside meat, which is kind of gross. But it sucks the water out of those things, and it keeps them from growing. So it, it slows the rotting process of the meat. And that's how they used it. It would keep the meat from becoming rancid and, and nasty and, and just gross. So we need to have that in, in the back of our minds as we think about what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying that they are the salt of the earth. And that's what they would have thought about when they hear the word salt. So let's turn back to our question then. So what does the fact that we are the salt of the earth tell us about the world? Well, if salt's a preservative and we're the salt, then that must mean that the earth is like meat. In some way, the earth is rotting or decaying like the meat is. Think about this. Uh, Imagine yourself getting ready to go on a vacation. And if you're anything like I am, that means that about five minutes before you're supposed to leave, there's this frenzied panic as you run around the house, you make sure all the lights are off, the air conditioner's turned up or down, however it's supposed to be, that the kids are in the car, that everything's packed, that you haven't forgotten anything, and you still leave like 20 minutes late. So there's this, this, this stress, this anticipation of, of going where you're going, you're worried you're going to forget something, or you're going to forget one of the kids. And then imagine that, that in all that panic, you forget to realize that the refrigerator door is open or the freezer door is open. So you go on your vacation. It's a great time. You have lots of fun. And then you come back and walk in the kitchen if you make it that far before noticing that something is very wrong. You would find a gross, smelly, stinky, rancid pile of nastiness waiting for you. It would be gross. It would be unpleasant. It would be disgusting. But that's what Jesus says the world is like. He says the world without salt is just like that. See, it's not some place that's basically good. It's not like we are slowly evolving and advancing and it's just turning into this utopian place that's, that's all sunshine and rainbows. It's not what it's like. The crazy thing is that before both of the world wars, before the 20th century, this is what they thought it was like. Pretty much every scholar, every philosopher, even, even Christian theologians thought that the world was just getting better and better and better and better and better, and it was going to continue to improve until Christ came back. That's what they thought. And then the First World War happened, and then the second, and then war after war after war. And as, as we had advanced industrially and technologically, people started to notice that it seemed like we were going the other way morally. And now, it's impossible, or or nearly impossible, to to watch the news, or to to see the news online, or to read about what goes on in the world, and to think that it's just this place where great things happen all the time, and bad things don't happen, and evil doesn't exist. Pretty much nobody thinks that way. See, Jesus' words to us then, they were just as true then as they are today. The world is rotting. It's, it's decaying. It's, it's just like a piece of meat left out on the counter unpreserved. That's what the world is like. But what about us? 
What does this image tell us about ourselves? Well, if salt is a preservative and the world is rotting, or the meat is rotting, and, and we're the salt, it means that somehow we preserve the world. See, just like meat, or just like salt, rubbed into a piece of meat, we'll, we'll preserve it and slow the decaying process. As Christians, we're, we're spread out into the world. We're spread out across the world so that we can slow moral decline in the world. It's how we function. But notice what Jesus says next. Verse 13, he says this. He says, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So here's an excellent question for us. How can salt lose its saltiness? If salt isn't salty, how can it still be salt? It's kind of confusing. And sodium chloride, what we know is table salt, it's a stable compound. That means that unless something is done to it chemically at the molecular level, it means that it will always be salt. There's never a point where, where table salt will stop being salt. So either Jesus just you know, didn't do well in chemistry, or there, there's some piece of the puzzle that we're missing. And the problem is, is that we're looking at it from a modern mindset. See, we can just go to the store. I, I can go to Walmart, and I can buy a container of pure iodized salt. Or I could buy a box of kosher salt if I wanted to. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't just go buy pure salt, pure unadulterated salt, salt with, with nothing else in it. They didn't have access to that like we do. And so no matter how close to pure it was, it would always be mixed with something else. There'd be dirt or sand or, or some other minerals in there with it. And there came a point where salt became so mixed, so diluted with other things, that it wasn't useful. It wasn't useful for, for flavoring food. It wasn't useful for preserving food. And so they'd do the only thing they could with it at that point, and they'd, just, they'd throw it out. So they could just finally complete the mixing process with other things. And what Jesus is warning his disciples of, what he's warning us of is not to mix so much with the world that we stop functioning as he calls us to function. If we delude ourselves so much in the world, we don't do anything to, to prevent it from rotting. We just become like it. So how do we do that, though? How do, how do we walk this, this fine line, this, this very fine line between being in the world like Jesus calls us to be, but not being of the world? And this is where a, a guy like Mark Driscoll, I think, is very, very helpful to us. See, he gives us three responses that we should make to culture. He says that we should receive things, we should reject things, and we should redeem things. So just to give you an example of how this works. Uh, things like technology and equipment, like our, our projectors and our guitars and our microphones. We don't buy those from specifically Christian companies. There's no such thing as a Christian and a non-Christian laptop. It's just a laptop. So you, you buy the one that works for you. So we can receive those things from culture and society. There's other things that we need to reject. So a thing like pornography. Pornography is always going to be sinful. 
It's, it's never beneficial for us. And so we as Christians know that we have to reject that. We can't make use of that. But what about the things we redeem? Where do those fit in? Well, that's like a, a thing like the Internet. The Internet is used for good things, and it's used for bad things. There's lots of bad stuff that happens on the Internet. Does that mean we, just, we don't use it at all? No, we can, we can use it for good things. We can use it for things like listening to sermons or, or finding good Christian resources. At, at BC, we use our website to promote ourselves in the community or something like the city to connect online with each other. So we, we take the, the good things and we reject the bad things. The point is, is that when we do this, we, we avoid one of the extremes. You see, when we go to an extreme, either way, we lose our saltiness. See, if we, we blend in too much with society, like, like liberal Christians, we don't reject enough and we just accept everything. That'd be like putting too little salt on a piece of meat. Not enough, and so it just rots anyway. But on the other end, we could be like hyper-conservative Christians who just reject everything. That'd be like taking some, uh, some salt for snow melting and putting it on a piece of meat. Meat wouldn't rot, but it would still make you sick. So we have to, to, to find the balance between these two extremes. That's what Jesus is calling to. That's how we are the salt of the earth in the world. But what about the next metaphor? Next, Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world. And when I read a passage like this, uh, my imagination kind of runs away with me. And I just have to think. I just have to think that this is one of those places where Peter opened up his mouth when he probably shouldn't have. I think I think that way because I find myself in that place a lot. And so I think that Peter, when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, I think Peter probably said, uh, uh, wait a second, Jesus. Hold the phone. I, I think what you meant to say is that you're the light of the world and we're your disciples. But you really said that we are. So you might want to just kind of back up and, and take another run at it. And Peter was right. I mean, in John eight twelve, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus was the light of the world. But here, but here in Matthew, he says that we are. He says that his disciples, that they and that we are the light of the world. So what does this tell us? What does this tell us about the world? Well, this one's a lot easier for us to understand than the salt one because we get light and dark. You know, we don't experience the darkness that they experience just because of, of all the, the cities and all the electricity that we have now. But if we're the light of the world, then that means that the world is in darkness. And we've talked a lot about this, that, that people just don't see what makes them stumble. Those in darkness can't see what's before them. Our, uh, our basement at our house is what some people would call very unorganized, much like my office was. Other people would say that it's a death trap. And every time I pull in the garage, after I shut the garage door and I get out of the car, I kind of have to make this... Uh, hectic little uh, scurry across the basement in order to get to the basement stairs before the headlights on the car go out. 
Because if I don't make it, if I, if I get strayed out in no man's land in the dark, then chances are I'm just going to die. It's to the point now that if, if somebody were to break into our house in the basement in the middle of the night without a flashlight, I don't think I would have to do anything to stop them. I think they would either injure themselves or they would just turn around and give up. People in the world, people, people in darkness, they're like someone trying to wander around our basement in the dark. Even if it's me, even if it's Jen, and, and we know what's down there, and we know where it is. You can't see the things that cause you to stumble. You don't know what it is that's tripping you up. These people are, are desperately in need of somebody to, to come along and to show them the safe path. They're in need of help. They're in need of salvation. And that's what it means that the world is dark. So what does it tell us about our place in it? If the world is dark, what does it mean for us to be the light of the world? Well, it means that we're supposed to light up the darkness. It means that we're supposed to shine forth in the dark places. And just like before, just like with the salt of the earth image, Jesus here warns us again against going to our natural response. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's saying that we can't withdraw from the world. We can't go and hide somewhere and not shine forth our light in the world. He says that others should see us, that they should see our light. And what does he say? What does he say they'll do when they see it? When they see us out in the world, when they see our light shining, are they going to see us? Are they going to see our good works? Well, they are. But Jesus says that when they do that, they will give glory to God. That's what he says is going to happen. Jesus' words here are very often distorted. A lot of the times you hear people talking about us shining our light in the world, and the purpose is always evangelism. And evangelism is a good thing. I mean, obviously we want people to come to faith in Christ. But Jesus says that the purpose here, his chief aim is what our chief aim should be, and that's to bring glory to God. We're to be the light of the world so that God is glorified by how we live. So is this what, what our lives are like? Would our friends, our family, our wife, our kids, our bosses, our co-workers, fellow, fellow students, roommates, cashiers at Walmart, people we see in the community, do people glorify God because of how we live? Does this describe us? So let's put all of this together. You see, Jesus helpfully gives us these two images which, which kind of fit together like two sides of the same coin. See, on one side, we have the fact that we are the salt of the earth. We're those who, who go out in the world and we slow the moral decay of the world. And then on the other side, he says that, that we're the light of the world. We, we shine forth in the dark places and we illuminate a world which has been darkened by sin. He also warns us in the, in the two images against the extremes. He says, you know, don't be like salt that, that's so diluted that it's useless. Don't, don't compromise. Don't 
conform so much to the world that, that you don't serve your purpose anymore. And then with light, he says, don't hide it. Don't withdraw from the world. Don't, don't stay apart from the world so that they never see your light. He's saying lift it up. Show it in the world. Let people see it so that God is glorified. When I was uh, younger, when I was a little boy, I had a problem that most little boys have, and that's that I didn't value uh, dental hygiene very highly. And so I was getting a lecture from the dentist, you know, where they tell you you need to brush more and floss more and, you know, do all kinds of other stuff. And I think he could see that I really wasn't paying attention or I didn't really care because he, he kind of amped up his game a little bit. And he gave me this, this special stuff, which he had me brush my teeth with, and then gave me a toothbrush and toothbrush and had me brush my teeth like I normally do. And then he got out this, this special light thing that he shined in my mouth. And it showed me where all the nastiness was that I missed when I brushed my teeth. Like showed up in like blue or purple or some weird color. And I think that that, that kind of gives us a picture of what Jesus is saying here. You see, the, the toothbrush and the toothpaste are like, our role is the salt of the earth. We, we, we stop decay. We prevent decay. We slow it down. But that, that blue stuff that he put in my mouth and, and that special light, that's like our role as the light of the world. We go out in the world and, and we light up the dark places and we show people where the bad spots are. That's what our job is like. So how do we do this? How do we do this practically? How do we go out in, in Hannibal and go to HLG and go to our jobs and go to our homes and do this? Well, I think that if, if we are really living like Jesus calls us to in the Beatitudes, that, that this is going to affect our actions. It's going to flow outward into the way we live. But there are some specific ways I think we can do it. You see, when we are out in the community, the way we act towards other people, the way we act towards the cashiers at Walmart and waiters and waitresses at restaurants, the way we drive our cars down the street, the way we treat our kids in the store, the way we treat our spouses and our friends in the store, the way we treat our classmates, our bosses. When we act these ways, I think people see us. When they see that, that we are nice, that we're polite, that we're loving towards cashiers, the people in line behind us see that. And they see that, you know, you don't have to be rude to these people. You can talk to them. You can see them as a person, and they know that that's the right way to do it. When people see us parent our kids, when your two-year-old is, is throwing a fit in the grocery store and she, saying she wants something, when people see us parent rightly to, to lovingly correct the child instead of just screaming at them, they know that the way that we are doing it is the better way. When we have a, a disagreement with our spouse, instead of having a, a big screaming blow-up fight, if we rationally and lovingly talk to one another, other people are going to see that, and they're going to know that there's a better way to do things. When we're in a conversation with friends, and we just refuse to gossip with them about someone else, they're going to know by, by, by how we live that it's okay to be a friend and not do that. For at our jobs, when we, when we don't complain about our coworkers, 
when we don't complain about our bosses or how little we make or how little vacation we get. When we do those things, people are going to see that. And they're going to know that we can be successful, that we can perform well at our job without doing those things. There are endless ways that that we can live out our role as, as salt and light in the world. But as I said before, the ultimate goal, our ultimate goal for doing these things, for going forth and living this way is so that God is glorified. That's what matters. It's not that these people would see us. It's not that they would glorify us. It's that they would see our good works and give glory to God. That's what we want to happen. That's why we live this way. That's why we go out into the community and we act this way. We only function. We only function as the light of the world because we're followers of the light of the world. It's the only reason we can do this. And the Gospels tell us. The Gospels tell us that that as Christ was dying, after he had been nailed to the cross, after he had been lifted up from the ground, as, as he was dying on the cross, the Gospels tell us that for a period of about three hours, the world became dark. The earth where he was was darkened. It means that, that as the light of the world was dying on the cross, the world became dark. But we know. We know that Christ didn't die in vain. We know that that darkness didn't win out. We know that that by His death, by His substitutionary death for us, by His work on the cross, we know that that God the Father has transferred us. He's transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We know that. And for those of us tonight who are in Christ, for those of us who have placed all our trust and all our hope in Him and in His work for our salvation, that's our reality. Our reality is that we are the light of the world and that we don't dwell in darkness anymore. But what if that's not your reality tonight? What if you you, you don't experience that? What if you're continually falling and tripping? That that things just, just prevent you from moving forward? Sometimes it might feel like you're in a a dark room and somebody just keeps moving the furniture around. You don't have any idea what's causing you to fall. So you just keep trying hard on your own. You keep trying to do it on your own and and you just get to a point where you don't feel like doing it anymore. Well, the good news is that the Gospel is for you. The Gospel tells us that we don't have to do it on our own. It tells us that we can't do it on our own. And it tells us that Christ did it for us. It tells us that He never, He never ever fell. And yet He paid the penalty for all of our failings. And the only thing we have to do, the only thing that we have to do is quit trying to do it on our own. We have to quit trying to earn our salvation, to quit trying to earn His grace and just accept it. That can be your reality. See, we know that that He is the light of the world. And we know that He freely gives that light to all of us. So Jesus tells us tonight, 
He tells us that we are, that, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world, and our purpose is to go forth and to live that way so that God is glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you spoke. God, that you spoke and commanded that light shine in the darkness. God, that even after we turned our backs, Lord, even after we decided that we loved the darkness more than the light, that you still sent your Son into the world to be light in it. God, we thank you that, that he died for us. God, that even though we were helpless, you sent him to us. God, we pray that we would value your grace as highly as we should. God, we ask that you would help us to trust in that grace. Or to not try to work for it on our own. God, that you would help us to live as salt and live as light in the world. God, that we would walk the balance of, of being in the world but not of the world. And the way we live, God, that it wouldn't draw attention to us, but that it would bring glory to you. God, that's what we want. So we ask that you would help us do that. God, we ask that you would encourage us and strengthen us. And help us be the people that you've called us to be. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.